Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Austin Price, Jesse Simonton, and Rob Lewis. I'm Brett Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. College football season is officially over with the uh, national championship game last night. We'll talk some about that. We'll talk some more about just kind of the year in general. A little bit of update on everything going on with Tennessee as coaches can go back out on the road uh, the end of this week, and we'll talk some hoops as well. But let's first dive into just general impressions and thoughts on um, – what you watched last night and what felt like the longest football game in, in the history of mankind. What, what's your takeaway from the championship game? Anybody? I mean, we've probably just witnessed the greatest quarterback season in the history of college football. I mean, Joe Burrow, LSU had thrown 60 touchdowns combined in the previous four years, and, and Burrow did it in one season. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic stat for him to make the leap where – you know, I think you could have made an argument going into this season that guys like J.G. and Felipe Franks were maybe better than him a year ago uh, for him to ascend and emerge. I mean, it was remarkable. And I think the best team, the, the, the team that was the best team all season won. I mean, there, there was that other stat that came out that all those teams, you know, that, that Oklahoma or that LSU beat, you know, only lost to one or no other teams the rest of the season. They beat, I think, five top five teams this year. It, it's just – they were dominant from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, to close your season beating Georgia, Oklahoma, and then Clemson, I mean, remarkable. Burrow By was, double digits each one, and, and other than being down 10-0 to the start last night, they did not have to sweat that much, you know, after that offense got humming. Yeah, Bur- Burrow was awesome. I mean, you know, 60 touchdowns. I mean, you know, you and I were talking about before we started the podcast, I mean, Peyton threw, what, 88 in his career at Tennessee? And he threw sixty in one year. I mean, it's just how the game has changed. Like it's, it, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, and, and if you get the right trigger guy and you have the right set of receivers, it's almost like playing arena football. I mean, and, and that goes at the NFL level, at college. Um, I mean, he's got some just dudes he's throwing to. Hilaire's a, a you know, a shifty little you know dynamo who's extremely tough to tackle with his low center of gravity, and then their defense does just enough. It's not the prototypical LSU defense, but they still got some really talented guys over there. Rob, you covered Ed Orgeron when he was here for a year. How, how and I don't, I'm not knocking, I'm not knocking Ed Orgeron and, and with the, you know, characterizing that he's a, some kind of cartoon character or anything, but seeing him work for a year here, how, how, how Impressed, surprised, whatever are you with the fact that he's a well, national champion? I'm super impressed. I always thought that he was smarter than, you know, once we got to know him, I mean, it was apparent that he was, he, he was sharper than, you know, the, as you say, the, car, the kind of cartoon character image made him look. I'm, I mean, I'm really happy for him. I enjoyed dealing with him. And, um, had, had, I mean, I can remember him making time for me on a Sunday afternoon shortly after they got hired and doing a one-on-one interview in his office for, you know, like, like 30 minutes and just telling stories. I mean, I, I, really, I really enjoyed him. And uh, I give him a lot of credit, man, for you know going back to the drawing board and, and just changing everything about their offense. I mean, just you know, kind of turning turning all that over. And you know, I, I again, I, I think he's you know the accent, the the bravado, all that. I mean, I, I think people have a have have an, a faulty impression of exactly what all what all he's got going on upstairs. Sharp guy. Yeah, you got you got Ed Orgeron who was an assistant Tennessee for a year. James Craig's the offensive line coach. He was here for a year as a Tennessee assistant. Tommy Moffat has been their strength coach. My my lasting impression of Ed Orgeron will be him calling me at that Italian restaurant when I was 
on a weekend getaway with my wife to wrap up the season. And, and you were at Fazoli's? No, we were not at Fazoli's. <laughs> we, were, we, were in we were in Gatlinburg at the best little deal, whatever, at eating garlic knots. That waitress walked by and had to grab a pen and uh, interviewed him on the spot right there sitting at the table last night, uh, that night. That was after he had signed up for VolQuest the month before to start looking at Tennessee's recruits before uh, Lane Kiffin th was think, officially I think, hired. I think they're, 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 he still might have three accounts. I hope he hope, hope those never lapse. <laughs> I hope they don't. I, don't, I think he's gotten rid of a, a couple of them, but uh, he and his wife both had an account to VolQuest before he ever stepped foot on this campus to, to work. But it, it is interesting in that for, for the bravado of him, the, the thing that he's kind of made a roadmap for, for other coaches out there, Jesse, and it's interesting when you see a new guy get a head job, how does he, how does he assemble a staff? Does he take all the money, you know, and then put, a, put an okay staff together, or does he kind of be the CEO and let his guys go to work? Look, Tennessee was going to hire Dave Aranda. Instead of instead of Shoop, that was that was essentially done. They just didn't get the MOU. They might have recruited signed. Jacob Phillips at the head. Yeah, might have recruited Jacob Phillips. But so he goes and hires Dave Aranda, and then he goes and you know he takes this this Joe Brady guy that nobody knows about and turns it over and, and lets them, you know, and, and lets them go to work and, and really becomes just a seat kind of a CEO who motivates his players, which is I, I think sometimes we get caught up in. You know all the X's and O's, and and does this guy what kind of staffs he put together? Ed Orgeron's biggest attribute to getting this to this point, they've recruited well, but he surrounded himself with some really good coaches. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think they go hand in hand. I mean, he you know he learned from some colossal mistakes he made sure. as a first time head coach at Ole Miss, uh, which is another point. It, you then, know, when you get your second chance, you better learn from it. Yeah, and, and really, he he arguably had a third chance because there was folks pining for him to get that USC job when he was the interim coach there. But I think LSU has proven to be a much better fit with his personality, the fact that he was able to assemble this staff, and then, you know, with the, with the stuff that the two-headed offensive group is doing and Dave Aranda. I mean, LSU's always had some of the best athletes in the country, and now they've just seemingly for this one season and we'll see what happens next year without the trigger man Joe Brady but for this one season they f seem to have found a cheat code and and were able to really unlock it and just take teams to the woodshed yeah it was uh, it was really it was really interesting uh, to see how they evolved and th there's lots of debate and a couple other things to get to and then we'll get to Tennessee but lots of debate not debate but lots of discussion about um, Joe Burrow, and it's the greatest year for a quarterback. Statistically, it is. I'll ask this question. Was his year better, taking the stats out, was what he did for his team better than what Cam Newton did for Auburn when they won the, cha when they won the title? Yeah, I mean, and I know they're two – you probably can't even compare them. It's probably not a fair question because it's two opposite – Types of play. Well, the stat that I, I don't know if it was Cole Kubiak or somebody threw out that you know that that when Cam had his amazing season, that not a single one of the players that he that either ran had a reception or or, or a rush ever played a down in the NFL, and they won a national championship. That's pretty insane. Now that defense was loaded with, with Fairley and some other guys. Cole on that defense, uh, but Burrow. I mean, there's Jamar Chase is only a sophomore. He'll be a top ten pick a year from now. Uh, Jefferson, though, is already projected to be top 15. Terrence Marshall's really good. Hyde, you know, it Moss. seems like a little Darren Sproles. Moss's kid, 
uh, was really. I mean, he has weapons galore out there, and Shadiq Charles and some of those guys are really good offensive linemen. So it is a little bit uh, apples and oranges. I would still think. I think the leap that we saw Burrow make this year, I think, is what kind of adds to that narrative or kind of the, the storybook that it, because he did not look like that a year ago. Teased it a little bit, but the, his footwork and his he just has watching him the last month such a comfort in the pocket. You know, he it's got great, sacked a couple times. He has times. a great feel. He, he does. knows I mean, he where, just, I mean, he doesn't dance out of there early. He, I mean, he sort of waits to the last second. I mean, his his feel for the game is really, to me, the biggest difference for me. I mean, he, he throws it the same. His accuracy has always been there. He didn't have a feel for the game the way a year ago the way he does right now. Yeah. I thought that second touchdown he threw last night was as – pretty a dime is you you can lay one in there i mean just touch i mean you know if you you put a little bit too much air on it that ball price sales if you throw it you know with a little bit more of a, a straight line it may it, you know, potentially be batted away or picked off i mean that to me that was one of many throws he's made in the last month that you were just like man i mean like that that was just to me just a, a straight dime yeah it was it, it was and now he gets to go to the cincinnati Bengals, <laughs> which the only cool part of that for that kid is it literally for his family is is right down the road from where they live. Well, the, you know, he, he's and he makes you know thirty five forty million dollars getting to do it. So correct, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying like it for, and for the for the Bengals, that's like when you know the Cavs got to draft LeBron, you know, on the on the, on the other yeah. end of the spectrum. Uh, unless the Bengals decide they want to do something else because they're the Bengals, which is always a possibility. You never know. Did I mean? Well, he's, I would he's going to get thirty five million, and, and and Jefferson got what? 3,500 from OBJ last night on the field after the game. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I, I mean, the Bengals should absolutely, because of the sort of season that Burrow had, and even though he would get, he will get paid $35 million, the best thing in the NFL right now is having a quarterback on a rookie contract. That They could hold a king's ransom for that number one pick mm-hmm. to say – how bad does the team want Joe Burrow, and how many first-round picks can he get? And then you don't—you're you, not exactly getting a, a poor prize, if you, especially if you're going to suck a year from now. Just take Chase Young, and then see if you can get Trevor Lawrence the next season. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I bet will be discussed or at least explored. And Cincinnati, if they're a smart organization, which they have not exactly been proven, they've mostly been proven to be cheap. But I, I, it's something they probably should explore. Well, you're right, and, and here over the court. Today, Joe Burrow's, you know, great landslide, great pig. He's got, he, he's playing, you know, an NFL game and a college game. And in four or five weeks from now, he's going to have all kinds of flaws. He will be picked to death by every scout out there. It was a system. It was, I mean, that's how that deal works. That, and, and he'll get picked to death by a lot of people. And well, all kinds of flaws will be put into his game and everything But else. his fleas are going to look a hell of a lot better than Herbert's and these other oh, guys no are question. also going to yeah. get picked to death. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's. I mean, it, there's no question he's the best one out there. But that's what you know. That's what they'll do is the number one pick. I, I got to get to this. I got to get to this before we get into the Tennessee stuff. What is college football going to do about the targeting rule? Doesn't that? I mean, don't we have to address as the as the game? Don't you have to address that and change how that rule is enforced so that the punishment is not as as severe. As it is, look, it didn't affect the game last night. Okay, LSU was going to win, but there was not malicious intent on that play. The same way in the Ohio, you know, playing the Ohio State game against Clemson. I mean, it wasn't a launch. I mean, 
I just think we've got to come up with some kind of tier system. Yeah, level one, to, level two. To not punish by taking a guy out of the game when he's just trying to make a football play. I don't see it getting anything but more severe. And that's the, the direction it's heading in. I don't, I don't think you're seeing him walk it back. See, I do. I think you're going to see him walking into a tier system. You know, but then again, how are you going to how are you going to be able to? I mean, that's so subjective. Yeah, again, I, mean, I but, don't see him walking. But, back but everything at all. they're doing is sub- subjective, though. I mean, I like, mean, they're, you know, what, what's targeting in one game isn't always necessarily ruled targeting in another. Well, and I'll say that one last night was the right call, crown of the helmet by the, by the definition of the rule. That, that's that that's the right that's the right call. See, I just I just think the punishment seems so severe. You know, and such a game-altering call. Um, when a lot of times there, there's there's not was it twenty-eight twenty-five then? Ill will. Uh, or was it thirty-five? I think it was thirty-five twenty-five. It was a ten-point game at that point. I mean, they, they weren't going to come back and win. It had a great effect in the in the Ohio State Clemson game, without question. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you, I think back to you had the SEC championship game where you had the kid from LSU. You know, who had to set out the, the first half of that deal because I can't think of that the linebacker's name on that deal two years, not this year, but previous year where there's much debate about that. It's, it's just, it's such a severe penalty that I don't know. I think that's going to, hopefully, that will be some sort of off-season topic that we'll look at. But you're, you're, you're in the camp of saying, hey, for safety, they're not going to, you don't think. I don't think, think so. I mean, I think, think they're, they're trying to legislate back. it. I mean, they're, they're trying to legislate it out of the game. I mean, get kids thinking about it. I mean, I mean, head injuries, CTE, all that stuff. I mean, it's still. I mean, that, that's a huge topic. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I. I I'm, not, I'm. I agree with you that it right. should be done, but I just uh, the, the climate out there. I just. I don't think that it's receptive to to. You know, See, I thought, it, I to thought, change it. I thought the uh, there's a lot of blindside blocks out there. I I did not feel like tease was that. Bad. No, I didn't either. I, 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 At all. There's a he lot can, of where you're like he that, killed that kid. And he just kind of shouldered him. Yeah, I mean, it was his momentum that, you know. And, and again, but I, they didn't call target. That's a defenseless player. But still, that I mean, that that but wasn't. That's, but that's just. But that's you. But that's that's to your point that they're trying to legislate just any all that sort stuff of that, that hits out of the game. And I mean, I, I thought that the T Higgins call. I, I had a lot more problems with that than I did the. Yeah, I mean, the look, I mean when 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 the linebacker from Clemson, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. When when he when he hit him, everybody you're watching on TV like that's targeting. It's done. I get it, okay? I just, you know, I'm not sure he intentionally meant to do it, you know, but, I mean, by the letter of the law, for his safety and everything else, that that's that's and, the penalty. And the, the most, pu- most violent hit in the game by far was Jacoby Stevens on, on Amari. Yeah. <laughs> and that was no penalty. And his yeah. poor head, man. Yeah. I, I, was, I was worried for that. Yeah, I mean, that, and that was no penalty. And that was the, by far the most violent of all three of those well, plays that we're talking about. When they about. slow-moed that, I mean, it looked ugly. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say that, that there's also a disconnect, and, and, and part of the reason I think why there's so much angst and frustration about this is two weeks ago you're wa- watching the NFL, and whether there was malicious intent or not, everyone saw Jadavian Clowney spear Carson Wentz and knock a quarterback out of a playoff game, and there wasn't even a flag. Right. Now, the refs said in hindsight they missed that. They probably should have flagged them, but there was nothing. There was, you know, it's like, right. so there's a there's, there's there's a disconnect all the way from the NFL to the targeting stuff in college. It's 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 the sports in a weird spot right now, and I do think they need to look at it intentionally. Uh, 
you know, th this off season and kind of figure out some rules that seem to work. Yeah, it'll, it'll be, and again, I don't know that it'll go anywhere, but I'm sure that will be discussed at some point in, in time. Um, as we put a bow tie on the season in general, what, what's your two or three biggest takes away, takeaways from the college football season now that it's over? I'll, I'll start. One, my, one of my biggest things, I don't think the Pac-12 is close, okay? And, and I, I don't know that the Big 12 is close to, to being competitive. And I'm not just saying that because of Oklahoma in, in that game, but, but I don't think those two conferences are nearly where, you know, everything east of the Mississippi is. When you talk about the Big 10, you talk about the SEC, and you talk about Clemson. I'm not going to say the ACC, but Clemson. But I think that's one of my big takeaways for all the talk about West Coast stuff. I don't think those guys out there are, are close to being, you know, kind of where you need to be. So that's one of my major takeaways from this season is that the rich is getting richer. And in the SEC with the new TV deal, it's only going to get richer. And Clemson's going to be back because, again, they're going to play in a conference where they should cakewalk again next year. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be on this on all on, – and they already are on every, you know, early way too – Way too early, top twenty-five. Clemson's going to be But they're disrespected. One. Just remember, they're always disrespected. Exactly. But I mean, Clemson, and Ohio State. <clears throat> I mean, you say the Big Ten. I'll say Ohio. I mean, just Ohio State and Clemson are just the only two programs. I mean, did anybody in the Big Ten come within two touchdowns of Ohio State? Wisconsin well, had what a lead. I don't know what. Game? I don't know what they finished with. Yeah, they, they were competitive. It, it was double digits. I don't remember. I mean, yeah, they, but you're right. I mean, it was. I mean, Michigan it was kind got, of Ohio State and the rest of Michigan the Big got Ten. blown out at Michigan. Yeah. I just. I mean, it's there's a huge gap right now. What do you think, think that is? Because I mean, I mean, those teams have. I mean, Oregon's got good athletes. You know, I mean, wh why do you think there is USC for, for all the days of talk of parity and everything else? Why why is why does it just mean more in the SEC and it works more in the SEC than it does around the rest of the country? But are we are we overstating it? That I mean, I think every year there's only five or six teams that can win it, anyways. Is that, did that really change? No, but what it, what it, what it's turned into, point. though, is it's, right. it's, in most instances, it's usually five or six. I'm going to say there's four that are just kind of always there, and then one or two rotate in and out. And, and when you look at those teams, every year they've got good quarterback play. Look at the run of quarterbacks that Clemson's on. Look at the run of quarterbacks that Ohio State's on. You know, you know Alabama's kind of been the, the opposite of that because they've had, but they've now had to adjust how they play offense versus what they were winning titles back, you know, eight nine years ago. So I mean, you know, and of course LSU makes their run with what, you know, they finally turned the corner with with Burrow's magical season. So you know, when you can kind of get that run and get that notion, look at Oklahoma. I mean, every year they're putting somebody in the Heisman Trophy can, you know, in ceremony. To me, it's, it all boils down to that position. But they're not competitive when they get into play. I mean, they were the one game against Georgia, but the other games with a Heisman Trophy candidate, they've not been competitive because those numbers that guy's putting up are ho are, are somewhat hollow because of who he's playing week in and week but out. Right, but right, wrong, or indifferent, they're they're technically one of the top four. I'm using the air quotes. Right, but but I'm but my point is there's a big gap. There may be one of the top four, but there's a big gap because that conference to me. Is, is a ways off from, you know, the, the, anybody in the SEC the same way the Pac-12 is, is a ways off. I mean, look, Oregon's got a guy who's going to be second quarterback taken in the draft, third quarterback taken in the draft probably, you know. And the irony is they're probably actually excited to move on from him 
because I think some of the different things, some of his limitations. Oregon as a team, I could still see cracking in because of the way – it all boils down to recruiting. And to me, if you're, you, you're stacked top five classes on top of top five classes, you got a pretty darn good shot to compete for one of those four spots. And then it's going to be dependent on catching a break or two and then how, what's your schedule. Like Clemson is going to be able to waltz every year. Ohio State has seen it firsthand that if they lay an egg, like they did at Purdue two years ago – um, they may be screwed because the Big Ten does have some other teams that are quality, uh, whether it is, you know, Michigan isn't great, but Penn State has been a, a nice program under Franklin. Uh, Wisconsin's been solid. And Notre Dame, I think, is always because of their, you know, they play enough top teams. They play Clemson next year. You know, right. they play enough top teams that if they win 11 or 12 games, they're always going to be in the playoff conversation too. Yeah. So – you know, it'll be a lot of the same teams talked about next year for, for the preseason. Tennessee's and, on, and a, on an early top 25 AP. Yeah. Number 25. Number 25 out there for the Volunteers. Momentum for Tennessee. Speaking of Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt's still looking for a running backs coach. Austin, we, do we see any movement on the coaching staff in the next week? See, and they, think, they go on the road Friday. I think so. Um, you know, and I'd like to be on the defensive side with Ron for Rocker. And then uh, you know, he's putting Joe Osovet on the road, you know, which in, which is interesting. Um, you know, again, I, I, I put in the chat, and I believe, you know, Jay Graham is someone that Jeremy really likes a lot, but how these other positions shake out and how much money he has left. Because, I mean, like, let's say, you know, let's say Rump leaves. You know, Rump's already making a big chunk of money anyways, you know, but you don't, you, you know, Rump leaves to bring in somebody that's, you know, going to be able to do the job like you want it, you're going to have to pay him. Same thing with... But you're probably not going to pay your outside linebackers coach $800,000. Maybe not. I mean, you just never know. I mean, he, he, I mean he's got he's getting $800,000 because he's got a co-coordinator title on it. That's right. But let's say, okay, you, you say you move on from Tracy Rocker. And you want to say hire Bo Davis. That's been the name floated around. Bo Davis is going to command more than $500,000, in my opinion. Right, I agree. So, 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 so how money, do you – I mean, you have two questions. How do you manage your pool, for one, and then what does your pool look like? Is yeah. Philip Fulmer giving you a bigger pool? Well, the other thing is, too, and AP and I talked about this off-air yesterday, and I, I answered this on the GQ late last week, and it was in the thread. But I don't think some Tennessee fans realize that Rocker and Winky's contract actually expires before signing day. Yeah, before the last so this, visit weekend. Yeah, so this whole, like, you know, how close is Jay Hardy and all, I mean, it, something's going to have to happen before January 31st. Either he's going to get a new deal or Tennessee's going to have a new defensive line coach. Yeah, because when... Or they're going to have an opening and then they're, and then they're eventually going to get a new defensive line coach. When D-back with rolls in here on the first... Those two, and now he's not connected to either one of those coaches, but I'm just saying, like, you know, he's the one guy that visits that last weekend. You know, technically they're not under contract when the first and second are all around. Well, right, and who knows if they do something. I mean, this the university the last three or four years with contracts have been notorious for doing a deal and then not releasing anything until May. So who's to say somebody doesn't already have a new deal? They just haven't announced it. Now, this situation is different because one deal – I mean, a couple of those deals – expire and everybody publicly knows that it expires but um i'm with you austin i I, and i i just think that there's going to be movement in the in the coming days of some kind i mean you're either going to 
you're either going to come back and say this is who we are, or you're going to you know start to make some moves. And then when that happens, when the that dominoes settled. fall with running backs and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I, I think until you know exactly how many changes are coming on, on your staff, you're probably not going to make that running backs coach hire. I still think Montario Hardesty can be a factor with this, along with Jay Graham, and then we'll see where. Uh, you know what they elect to do or don't elect to do with Joe Osavet. Yeah, I mean, obviously putting Osavet on the road is at least dangling the carrot out there in front of him. Like, you know, all right, here's an opportunity. You know, I, I still would be, I, I would still be shocked. It, you know, I, I don't. You can't discount Joe, um, but I, I, you know, I, I do think that they would like to go in a different direction if that's possible. There's all. There's also in terms of you know folks jumping to conclusions with Osabet being on the road. Tennessee only has so many options there. You know, Kevin Simon is taking a step back. He's not doing it. He's not as involved as he was a year ago. So if he's not going to be a guy you put on the road, you know, who, who I'm not sure who else would be the best option. Osabet has recruited, you know, the know what Maryland area. And, and Who would you put on the road? <laughs> when you're throwing a bunch of throwing a bunch of weight towards Jay Hardy and, and, and Phillip was the one that recruited Kevin Cooper, I, and and, and Philip is, you know, very well liked by the family. You've already pulled that card, Philip Fulmer. I mean, like how many times? Like, Tennessee can't Tennessee can't keep going back to that well. Why? It's a one-off. Send him out on the road for one visit. Doesn't hurt. I mean, we're not talking about you know weeks upon weeks. And we're talking about Philip Fulmer versus Joe Osvett. Like yeah, and, 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 and you're talking about also the fact that in the month of January, it's not what it used to be. Tennessee's recruiting three, four guys, and the rest of the visits are 2021. You so what you're saying is if you put Fulmer on the road. Just for the one day. For, for the one for the well and they could do that for and, the and one then day. and then Joe goes out after that because you can interchange them. It's not, I don't I mean, I don't know if you can declare. I'd have to go look at that rule. I don't know if you can if you can rotate that 10th guy all the time like that. Kentucky's been doing that. But they Walt Wells went on the road, you know, and then they, they had other people went on the road. But they may have had an exception because the, the coach has been ill. Maybe. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know, the, I don't know the answer to that, to, to that rule. My, my point is because of what January has become, it's about evaluating 21. It's about getting in a door at a school and looking at 21s and visiting with a coach there and going and, and turning over some rocks is what, is what the month of January has become with the exception of, in Tennessee's case, Two, three kids, um, but if you can get Philip Fulmer in the home, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100 percent that that's like he's going to carry weight with, with being in the being in that house. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just like carrying. That's like having a second in home for the for the head coach position without it being a second in home. Provided that the Hardys are big Fulmer fans, and in my talks, they are. Yeah, they they feel like the the, the, the career of Kevin Cooper would have been was was altered. When Philip got fired, gotcha. Okay, um, we're hearing other names pop up: wide receivers, you know, everything else. I mean, is this still Beckwith and Hardy? Yeah, in my opinion. I mean, again, if I said this in the chat, if Tennessee's got to decide if they can get with the Weidman kid, do you do you pump push Bellis Jones into twenty one and then take twenty four instead of twenty five? Because year? you can do that because he didn't take an official visit. That's right. Right. Or you can do the same thing with Cade Mays. Yeah. Because he didn't take an official visit. Those two transfers, you could, quote, blue shirt those guys and count them forward because yeah. they didn't an official visit. Um, what we know about this staff, they're going to bring in some guys 
that they may have no intentions of taking, but they're going to bring in some guys to bring in some guys, right? That's kind of what they do. Yeah, I mean the Dylan Spencer kid at Madison Central. I mean, I would expect him to be in here for a visit. You know, and that's that's on the books. I mean, but I don't know if there's going to be room for him. You know, I guess you know in a perfect world, like if Beckwith, you know, just fell in love with Florida, and Jay Hardy decided not to come, then that changes how they. Which is why you keep Which is why you bring those kids those in. Why, yeah. So I mean, but I mean, right now I would think. I mean, somebody asked last night in the chat. You know, is Beckwith a foregone conclusion? I won't say that, but I think Tennessee. He's Tennessee's to lose, in my opinion, because of the cousin. You know, because you know he's very low key. I'll be. Inter- we talked about this on our podcast last week. You know, it was interesting to me that, you know, he's such a basketball guy. Well, it turns out he's going to take these visits. Basically, he'll he'll go late Saturday night, and then he'll be on Sunday, Monday for the next two weeks. So when he visits Florida and Kentucky, there'll be Sunday, Monday visits. And then for Tennessee, I do think because there's no you – you have to be off the road or off, off campus Monday period. night yeah. because of that period, he will actually miss basketball games for that week. For that last week. Yep. So that's going to be how he gets his visits in and avoid missing basketball yep. games Sunday, Monday. That's a pretty good note there. That because um, I was wondering how he would how he would make that happen and how he would go there. All right. So uh, on the road, you can go out Thursday and get in place, but you can't be in a school till Friday, right? Correct. That's and correct. so, you know, Tennessee's going to be around everywhere on Friday because they'll have a couple of guys come in, but it'll be Friday night before they have to get off. So they'll be at, you know off the road to come in and recruit. They're also going to have some underclassmen in town in the coming weeks as well. So we'll continue to follow plenty of that and, and much of that moving forward. Do they get a guy like Brock Vandergriff on campus at some point in time? What about, is it Velenu? Christian Velenu? Velou. Velou, excuse me, Velou, the quarterback from up in, in Maryland who's originally from Canada. Do they get him on campus? When do they get him on campus? Two quarterback names to keep a close eye on as Tennessee looks for that quarterback in the class of uh, 2021. All right, let's skip to hoops or jump to hoops. Uh, for Tennessee, on the road at Georgia in a tough challenge. Then you go to Vanderbilt. We talked about this on, on, the, on the podcast on um, – at the end of last week, we talked about it on the locker room, Rob, on, on Sunday night with you and I in Austin did. No identity for this basketball team, yet they find a way to win when you got Bowden and Pons going one for 24 from the field, which is crazy. What do you make of, of this team as they go to Georgia? Just not very good. <laughs> I mean, with the injuries, you know, with Lamonte being gone, with, you know, Plastic not, not getting eligible. I mean, they're playing five freshmen. You know, ten minutes a game. And Bowden's in, in the worst slump of his career, and it's just—I mean, they—they they have done well, in my opinion, to be two and one. And, and you know, I'm not—I'm not trying to you know be critical, but those those two wins were what I would imagine will turn out to be two of the worst teams in the SEC at the end of the year, and they had to scratch, claw, and fight to get to get both of them. Are you seeing though a little bit of a change with not not in terms of improvement, but? Is this becoming, you know, Josiah and, and Santiago's team? Are they are they are they becoming more the leaders and, and not necessarily Jordan with with the slump he's in and kind of his personality? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I too early to say. I, I think it's too. I mean, Santiago's played three games. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I don't I don't think that Josiah is really aggressive and asserting himself. Um, I mean, again, I, mean, I think you you said it best at, at the beginning. They don't have an identity. To me right now, I mean, they're, they're they're scrappy. I mean, they showed these last two games that they, you know, they'll, they'll fight and 
and and, and you know, give, give good effort, but uh, they just have such a hard time scoring. And just you know, with Jordan being mired and slumpy, is I mean, they don't have a go-to guy on offense. I mean, I I, I think Rick had always you know thought that would be Bowden and or Turner, and, and, and it's clearly not. I mean, Jordan's Jordan's just I, I mean. I think he's pressing. I mean, I, th- I think you know Rick said Rick said that. I think Jordan feels like he's got to go out and produce, and I think that's you just it has put him in a bad spot. I don't think he's handled the, the role very well. So what do they do? How do they can they get him? What do they do to get him going, or just you just keep playing? Just keep playing. I, mean, I don't think there's an answer. I mean, Rick Rick pretty much went with the tough love approach after Saturday's game, saying that you know if Jordan's going to keep playing like that, then I'm going to stop playing him so many minutes. So you know, eight for fifty four in his last four games. That's that's brutal. Yeah, I mean it, it's. I mean, defensively, he's. I mean, he's played pretty good defense, but offensively, it's. It's obviously been really bad. This is a Georgia team that's got some. That's some power to them. Um, and they can score. They that's can why, score. That's why I think Tennessee will will have a hard time at Athens. Now they've they've, they've lost two straight in the league, but they played Auburn and, and Kentucky, played the, played the, the two best teams. the two best teams in the league. They did beat Memphis. Um, they, they've got some other games. They played close. What was the score of that Kentucky game? They ended up losing by 10 or so. But, but weren't they running the longest time? Yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were up by six at halftime. They had a hard time stopping dribble penetration, which is, you know, I'm not sure Tennessee can mm-hmm. can do that to them, but that's where that's where Georgia had a hard think, time against yeah, Kentucky. I don't think Tennessee has an Ashton Higgins or Emmanuel Quickly on the, on the roster yeah, right now. To, I mean, because Quick, Quickly has been impressive to start conference play. He's, yeah, I mean, he can get it in the paint. I and mean, I mean Georgia's scoring right at 80 points a game. I mean, in Tennessee, in, in league play, is averaging less than 60. So, I, th- I mean, I, I think Tennessee will make it. You know, they'll, they'll defend. They'll play. I, th- I think they'll play well. I think it'll be close. But I just, I just don't think they can score enough. And that's going to be the challenge: is is can every, they every can, can they find sixty five points? Yeah. And can they hold somebody to sixty to have a chance to win? I mean, th- I mean, isn't that the game plan? Yeah, they have seventy in the conference game. I mean, they only played three, but you know, they played three teams that you know a lot of people are going to score on. And yeah. And I mean. Maybe the Missouri win is a little better than I'm giving credit for after what they did to Florida. But, I mean, how in the world do you figure Florida out? That's yeah, I mean, that's, they're all over the map. Bizarre. I mean, they look they look great one game, and then they don't – then they no-show the next game. by 20 to that team, that, the Missouri team, the Tennessee – But that was the Missouri team that played Kentucky really close. And then, and then loses at home to Tennessee. Yeah, loses – I mean, that's – but that's – I mean, no offense to him, but that's kind of Conzo Martin in a nutshell. I mean, you win a couple games you're not supposed to win, or you play some close, and then – you lay an egg somewhere that nobody saw coming, or a game that you should have won. You don't take care of your business. So, but, I mean, I do think Tennessee wins Saturday at Vanderbilt. I mean, that, Vanderbilt lost their best player. I mean, lost Naismith for the year. By, he was averaging twenty-three a game. Second year in a row. And I mean, their best Vanderbilt player by the far. Best player. He, yeah. I mean, and they got just routed by Texas A&M, who is not very good on Saturday. What's that losing streak up to now? 23. 23 or something like that in conference for Vanderbilt. Yeah, well, 0 and 18 last year, so it's 21, I guess. 21, I guess. Well, they, I don't know if they, they had they, any they lost prior the SEC to tournament, so if you count that one, that's probably 22. Yeah, I think it's 22. I think that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, so I, think, I think Tennessee goes 1 and 1 this week. They'll be 3 and 2 after five SEC games, which, you know, doesn't look bad on the surface, but it's, it's been an easy schedule yeah, compared to what it's, what's going to happen. Yeah, what, what it's getting ready to turn into. Um, but we'll see how much these freshmen can grow. I think if you're Rick Barnes, that's what this. So you're not throwing the season away, but it, but it's very much how how much can Santiago improve, and how much can you you get out of Drew Pember as he continues to develop and and fix some flaw, try to fix some flaws that they have there. I think that's the 
you know that that's the measuring stick for what he needs, this team needs is to play be. him. Yeah, needs to play him. He's going to have to play him, whether he wants to or he doesn't. He's going to have to ride through and play. We'll see how he plays that bench on the road in the SEC on Wednesday night and on the road against Vanderbilt on Saturday. That's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price, Rob Lewis, and Jesse Simonton, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.